All right, let's um, let's do this. Praise God. Let's go uh, to and I'll put it on the screen. James chapter one. James chapter one, and we've been in starting with this verse now for several Wednesday nights in a row. So it's kind of become our our uh, keystone passage for this series. Um, I took the title down rather quickly, but we're in uh, part seven of a sermon series entitled Ready for Trial. Ready for Trial. And we're talking about um, what it really looks like and what's really happening um, when our faith is tried, the trying of our faith. Let me remind you again as well before we read the passage, you cannot move the mountain as long as the mountain can move you. As long as the mountain can move you, you'll never move it by faith. But when you become steadfast and immovable in your faith, then the mountain will move when you speak to it. So let's go to James chapter 1. Now, verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing or the proving or the trying of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we said before that if you take that word patience and it literally means endurance to be able to come under something and stay under it, then, you know, the simple way we might say it is, is hanging in there. Praise God. And, you know, that's such a critical part of our faith. It's one thing for us to make a faith confession, for us to release our faith, for us to make a request uh, as the scriptures in, instruct us to do. Uh, by faith to receive something into our life reality that grace has already given, already provided for us. Um, but it's another thing to endure when Satan uh, brings trial against um, that faith. Now, it's a bit sobering to uh, talk about, but the reality of a trial is that every trial ends with either a winner or a loser. Now, in a, in a civil or criminal trial, you can always have a hung jury and you have to do it all over again. Um, but when it comes to the trying of your faith, um, a, a hung jury means that you lose um, because a hung jury means you're double-minded. <laughs> and a double-minded man, the Bible says, is unstable and should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So every trial ends with a winner and a loser. And sadly, far too many of God's people are losing their case when their faith is tried because they're not ready for trial. Now, let's. Uh, this, some of this is review, some of this is new material. But let's. Um, Let's talk about you know, the different elements or factors or aspects uh, of a trial, comparing it again to an earthly trial, a physical trial of you know, like a courtroom, something criminal, something, something civil. The first thing that we need to understand is that your faith is on trial. Your faith is on trial. And we'll talk about that a little more in just a moment. The next thing that we need to understand is that Father God is the judge. He is the judge. And the third thing you need to understand about the trial of your faith 
is that Father God is the judge, and the judge has already ruled in your favor. Father God is the judge, and the judge has already ruled in your favor. There are times when the Lord uh, whispers things in my spirit, that still small voice inside of me, shows things to me, and it's like a bolt of lightning inside of me. It's like something, just a flash inside of me. And, and this, that one phrase right there, uh, when you know, I was working through this and, and he was showing me these things and, and I, you know, Father, you're the judge. And then he just right behind that says, and I've already ruled in your favor. Man, it was like a, this just you know, electricity ran through my spirit. And I hope that it does the same for you. I can't hear it enough, to be honest with you. Uh, Father, God is the judge. And when it comes to the trial of your faith, you must understand that the judge has already ruled in your favor. Number four, understand the trial of your faith. Your heart is the jury. Your heart is the jury. And then the next thing I want you to understand about the trial of your faith is Satan is the prosecutor. He is the accuser of the brethren, Revelation tells us. He is your adversary. We'll look at that verse again in a moment. But adversary there literally means um, an opponent in a lawsuit. All right? Now, let's go through some of these. Some of this review again. Some of this is new material. First of all, when we say your faith is on trial, your faith is on trial, the trying of your faith. So many times we, I'm not saying that it isn't personal, but so many times we take it personal. We, We think that, I'm being tried. Oh, these trials and tribulations that, that I'm going through. Well, you're going through them, the Bible says, for the Word's sake. You're going through a, a genuine trial of your faith. Now, you know, you know, sometimes people talk about trials and all this other stuff when they just, you know, uh, Dairy Queen was out of their, you know, hot fudge for their Sunday or something. They act like it's the worst thing in the world, right? But what we're talking about here is your faith being on trial. What does that mean? Your faith on trial simply means you've chosen to use your measure of faith to receive and experience something the Word of God says belongs to you. You, you know, the Bible says Daniel was reading along and, and, and he saw where God had prophesied uh, some things concerning Israel and he did the math and realized, hey, you know, these things should have come to pass already. And so he released his faith. He, he, he entered into a fast. And begin to fast and pray because what he was experiencing was not lining up with what God had promised. And we know, of course, that God's not slack concerning His promises. But once again, we receive by faith what God's grace has already given to us. And so when we say your faith is on trial, um, I'm, I'm specifically talking tonight about you choosing to use your measure of faith to receive and experience something the Word of God says belongs to you. This could have, you know, the Bible has much to say about your prosperity in every area of life. The Bible has much to say about your health and well-being. The Bible has much to say about your salvation and the salvation of your household. The Bible has much to say about um, God's protection uh, for you and your family, His provision for you and your family. And so this is why faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God is the seed. The faith in your heart uh, is the soil. And when that seed 
comes in contact with that faith, we know that this is when the, 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 the power, the potential that's in that seed is released. And so when we say your faith is on trial, uh, we're talking about something that takes place after you have released your faith, maybe through a confession, maybe through some other action, because we know that faith without any corresponding action is, is dormant. It's, 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 it, 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 it's basically dead on the vine. Um, but you've released your faith. Uh, you've believed that you've received uh, something that the Word of God says belongs to you that you're not experiencing in your life, you haven't received in your life. Or it means you've chosen to use your measure of faith to move or remove something that's in your way trying to stop you or block you. This is, this is what it means to you know, mountain moving faith. Jesus taught us to speak to the mountain and believe that we've received uh, that which we've spoken, that which we've asked uh, when we speak to it. That when we release our faith, the result may not be immediately visible, but believe that we've already received the result. And if you believe you've already received, you will receive, you will possess uh, in your life reality uh, what it is that, that you have released your faith concerning. And so faith is certainly for receiving uh, the promises of God. Faith is for receiving what grace has already freely given to us. But we also see that faith can be used to move things out of our way. Obstacles and things hindering and, 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 and blocking us. Maybe, maybe you have a, 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 some business you know, idea that the Lord's given you, but you feel like you know, there's you know, maybe regulations or maybe you need some funding or, or these certain kinds of things. Again, this is, you know, the mountain represents the obstacle uh, that's in your way, and we can release our faith uh, to, to move those obstacles. That's why we began with that statement a moment ago, as long as the obstacle, the mountain, can move you, right, uh, then you're not going to move it. Um, but when you're so steadfast in your faith that you speak to the mountain and the mountain doesn't move and it doesn't move you, amen, you're on to something there. Praise God. So your faith is on trial. You've, you've taken a step of faith. You've made a faith confession. You've believed God for healing or for something in your finances or something related to your family. And, um, and now, you know, you're in that place where you've believed that you've received, but you have not yet uh, realized uh, that uh, breakthrough. So, the other thing we said is that Father God is the judge. And we, and we spent some time on this last week, okay? Um, let me add another thing to that. Obviously, uh, He's already ruled in your favor, but when we say Father God is the judge... Father, God is the judge, but you're not trying to prove your case to Him. Remember, He's already ruled in your favor, and He's provided you with a transcript of what He said. That's His Word. So a lot of times we, you know, we, we think that if we can just convince the judge. But in a jury trial, you're not, you're not, the two sides aren't trying to convince the judge. The, the, the judge is there as, as, a, as a mediator. The judge is there to keep both sides in, in bounds, so to speak. Okay? But the final decision belongs to the jury. So Father God is the judge, but you're not trying to prove your case, your faith case to Him. This is so important because a lot of people believe that when their faith is on trial, that somehow it's God that's trying them. That somehow God is the one who is behind this. Father God is not the prosecutor. Satan is the accuser. Satan is your adversary. 
in a lawsuit. He is your opponent in a lawsuit. Father, God is the judge. You're not trying to prove your case to Him. His, he knows your case better than you do. Your case is more proven to Him than it is to you, and that's one of our problems. What He said, you know, again, forever His Word is established in heaven. So we need His ruling in your favor, in my favor, already established in heaven forever. We need that to be established in our hearts. So He's already ruled in your favor, provided you with a transcript of what He said, and you can and should read it into evidence anytime the enemy, Satan, your adversary, puts your faith on trial. The verse for this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 18, 19, and 20, But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in Him was yes. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So everything God has promised to you is yes and so be it. God is not wishy-washy. God is not waffling or wavering. We're the ones that waffle and waver. Father, God's Word is certain. Again, it's forever established in heaven. He wants what's established in heaven to be established in your heart for you to be as confident in His Word as He is confident in His Word. So, quick review. Your faith is on trial. Father, God is the judge. You're not trying to prove your case to Him. He's already ruled in your favor and provided you with a transcript of what He said. So we've already mentioned this. Your heart is the jury. In a jury trial, the, the prosecution and the defense are not trying to prove or make their case to the judge. They're trying to make their case to the jury. And so, understanding the trial of your faith, you must understand that your heart is the jury. And because your heart is the jury, and it has uh, the ability to override the judge's ruling, once again, that's in your favor. So the judge can rule in your favor. The judge can say, you know, you put in a petition, you petition uh, him for healing, and he says, yes and so be it. Approved, uh, purchased, uh, paid for, bought, paid for, signed, sealed, and delivered by my own Son, the judge's own Son, Christ Jesus, bought and paid for your healing. So he is well within his rights to rule in your favor on a faith case for healing. Okay? But your heart is the jury, and just as the case with a, a, uh, a criminal trial before a jury or a civil trial before a jury, the judge can have one uh, verdict in mind, but the jury have a different one, and the jury's verdict is going gonna, is gonna to overrule. The jury's verdict is going to win. I was, um, I was having a conversation with a brother about this this afternoon, and I don't, again, mean to bring up something secular or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I, I would just about guarantee you that Judge Ito uh, believed that O.J. Simpson was guilty. Uh, but the jury in O.J. Simpson's trial said that he wasn't, and it was their ruling that carried the day, not the judge's. Now, I know this, you know, we think of how powerful a sitting judge is. We think of, 
you know, a judge in a courtroom and how much weight that, that he or she carries. But the jury uh, has the, the ability to overrule. So your heart, when it comes to understanding the trial of your faith, your heart is the jury, and your heart has the ability to override the judge's ruling, which, as we've said over and over again, is already in your favor. Now, let me show you um, a verse, uh, some verses that, that support this. Um, we got here last week, but we didn't continue on with this. So turn with me to 1 John uh, chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and let's look at verse 20, 21, and 22. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, 21, and 22. Praise God. I'll give you a minute to, um, to turn there. Amen. So here it says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, before this and after this, he talks about what those commandments are. And those commandments, uh, don't think ten commandments. Jesus said all the commandments and the prophets uh, hang on two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So those are the love commands that um, are being talked about within context here of 1 John chapter 3. Now, keeping in mind that when your faith is on trial, Father is the judge, He's already ruled in your favor, but your heart is the jury and has the final say. So if our heart condemns us, if the jury of our heart condemns us. Now that word condemn, that's a strong word. But let's talk about it for a minute. Condemn is literally the result of judgment. Think a verdict that's been handed down from a jury. You could say it this way, the jury condemned the man to death. So your heart condemning you speaks of a wrong conclusion that you have come to, or we could say a wrong verdict that you have come to in your heart. Okay? So notice that if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. I didn't put this verse in my notes, but in the Old Testament we see that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you can think one thing in your heart, and God you know, have already ruled you know, different from that concerning your situation, but what you have in your heart is going to override what God has already said about you, done for you, given to you, and what you believe in your heart, how you think and how you see things with your heart is going to determine what you experience in your life reality, even though God is greater than your heart and has spoken other things and, and declared other things and given other things to you. Wow. Now, that's, again, 
you know, serious stuff. But aren't you glad it doesn't end there? When he says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then what? We have confidence towards God. We have confidence towards God. And if we have confidence towards God, what does this mean? Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. So do you see what we're talking about here when we say that, you know, God, Father God, He he is the judge, but your heart's the jury. And even though He's greater than our heart, even though the judge, um, as far as position of authority, you know, and other things may be greater than that jury, what that jury says is what, is what the final verdict is going to be. Let me give you one more that's related to this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But if your heart condemns you, even though there is no condemnation, even though the judge in your case has declared you 100% not guilty, he's declared you right before him in his eyes, if your heart condemns you, you're going to live like a condemned man instead of living like the, the free man, the forgiven man, the righteous man that you've become in Christ Jesus, as a man thinks in his heart. Or we could say, as a man rules in his heart, as a man judges in his heart, as a man determines in his heart, so is he. Now, this part, I believe, is some of the most critical truth um, for us to understand in light of the bigger picture of understanding the trial of our faith. Because we've already you know, established that Father God is not the prosecutor, it's our enemy, our adversary, literally meaning opponent in a lawsuit, who is bringing uh, prosecution or prosecuting or, or, or uh, accusation, uh, contradiction, defiance against what we've believed. So, let me, let's, let me just put this up here, okay? So, your adversary, this is the devil. Your adversary knows the judge has ruled in your favor. But he also knows that you will not receive what you have believed for if he can persuade the jury of your heart to rule otherwise. It's important right there. See, for too long, we've been ignorant, not known, not understood, that our heart was the jury when it comes to the trial of our faith. For too long, we have not understood that, while at the same time, our adversary has absolutely understood that. So no wonder we haven't been ready for trial. We haven't even understood who the jury is in this thing. We haven't even understood you know, that our judge is Father God. He's already ruled in our favor. So we, we're walking in here almost immediately agreeing with the prosecution just because he points to a few symptoms or something. And, and we're losing our faith case when we should be winning. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this slide up here for a minute. Okay. 
one more time, your, adv- your adversary, opponent in a lawsuit, according to 1 Peter, your adversary, the devil, knows that Father God has already ruled in your favor. He knows that. He knows that. That's what's so sad about this. He knows that you're a winner. But He also knows that if He can get you to doubt that you're a winner and believe that you're a loser and you deserve to lose, then even though your judge has already declared that you are more than a conqueror, that you always triumph, that you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. Those those are the judge's rulings. Read from the transcript. Read it into evidence, right? But the devil knows that even though Father has already ruled in your favor concerning all of these things, that if he can persuade the jury of your heart that you're not, that you can't, that he won't, God won't, whatever, then the jury of your heart will override the judge in your trial. So, if you're understanding, and I pray by the Holy Spirit that you are, if you're understanding everything that I'm saying to you right now, it should, in Jesus' name I'm praying, it should add a fresh new perspective to this thing called doubt. It should add a new understanding of what doubt is, where doubt comes from, and why the enemy is trying to use circumstantial evidence, false accusations, fact-based statistics or reports to create doubt in the jury of your heart. This is the strategy... This is the strategy that he uses. Now, let's go back to, again, an earthly physical trial, a criminal trial. You've got a prosecution who has brought charges against a person. Let's say they're being charged uh, with robbery. And the prosecutor has accused them and has now hauled this person into court. Remember, he is innocent until proven guilty. Innocent until proven guilty. You are healed until the devil can convince you you're sick. You are prosperous until and unless the devil can convince you that you're not. That's why, again, let the poor man say he's rich. When you believe that you are prospering and the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and has no sorrow with it, You are reading into evidence what the judge has already said to you and about you, what he's already ruled in your favor. Okay, And so again, unless and until the enemy can convince you you're poor, amen, you are prosperous and whole and well and wise and all the above and then some. Okay, So, back to this trial, this man that's been accused of robbery. How do you plead? The judge asks. The the defendant says, Your Honor, I plead not guilty. And because I've pleaded, I'm putting this part in here, because he pleads not guilty, he is considered innocent by the jury. He's considered innocent by the judge. And now the burden 
of proof falls upon the accuser, the prosecutor. In other words, that prosecutor must prove to the jury beyond reasonable doubt that this man committed that robbery. So notice now, what is the accuser, what is the prosecutor trying to do? He's trying to produce doubt in the the jurors concerning this man's innocence. This man told the jury he didn't do it. The prosecutor told the jury that he did do it. Now the prosecutor has to prove this man did it. He has to prove his accusation. He has to prove what he's saying. Are you, are you seeing this? Now, so, so in the case concerning your faith, your trial being put on faith, Satan is the prosecutor. He's the adversary, your opponent in this lawsuit. He's trying to convince, not the judge. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. Think about the devil trying to convince Father God that one of his born-again children are not righteous. I mean, he, he wouldn't even try that. He knows, just like Father knows, that you're righteous. But if he can get you thinking in your heart, ruling in your heart, coming to the conclusion, the verdict in your heart that you're not, then you're going to live like someone who's not even though you are. Wow, man, this is... Oh, thank you, Jesus, for revealing these things to us. So what's the simple strategy of... Our accuser. It's the same strategy of any prosecutor in any court in the United States of America. Get the jury to doubt the confession of the defendant. Get the jury to um, think, um, you know, what we call reasonable doubt, beyond any reasonable doubt, that what this man is saying isn't true. Now, in this case, you as a person... <laughs> have confessed the word of God that you're healed. But the jury in your heart, right? Well, they say the jury's still out. The, the, you know, the enemy is, is you know, accusing you, attacking your faith, in hopes that he can produce doubt in the jury. Because if he can produce doubt in your heart, what do we know about doubt in the heart? Doubt in the heart means we are not going to win our case and receive what Father God says belongs to us. I got a verse on that one. Man, we're going through time just flies uh, when we're together like this. Praise God. Um, I'm looking for it here. I got so many notes and I got notes to keep up with notes here. Um, it's, we actually uh, see it if, we keep, if we'd have kept reading in James. But in James, let's go to James uh, 1 and 6. Really, I don't have five on here. But James 5 says, if, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, uh, who gives to all men uh, liberally and upbraideth not. I may be quoting from the King James Version there. But what he's you know, saying here is if you ask God you know, for, for wisdom, uh, he's, he's going to give it to you. Uh, in other words, is it, is it Father's will for you to receive wisdom from him as a gift already ruled on. Yes and amen. Yes and so be it. Has he promised to give wisdom to those who ask? Yes, he has. So read, you know, when, when we read James 1 and 5, we are reading into evidence the ruling 
of the judge in our case. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. See, when we really start getting this, man, this is rising up in me right now. When we really start getting this, you know, we, we're going we're gonna to start, you know, taking it right back to the enemy. Why are, why are we even having this conversation? I'm not listening to a thing you've said. The judge has already ruled. See, we, we entertain him. We, we listen to him. Well, you know, you asked, but where is it? You, you believed you received it, but you ain't got it yet. God ain't giving you that. That ain't what the Bible says. That's not what he means. See, why are we even listening to him? Why are we even... Imagine for a moment that, and I'm just, this is coming off the top of my heart, okay? Let's say a prosecutor accuses, you know, this man of robbery, uh, and the robbery clearly happened at 11.39 p.m. Uh, at a specific location at a, sp a specific time, and, and that man has uh, hard evidence that he wasn't even in the United States of America when that robbery happened. He was overseas working for his company, and he's got all kinds of alibi witnesses. He's got, in other words, it's a slam dunk, absolutely, positively did not do it. And, and because the, you know, the judge has already looked at, at that and, and knows the man's ev you know, the, the evidence, in other words, the attitude of the defense in that situation would be, why are you even bringing this case? It's, it's already decided. It's already proven. See, strong faith, when the enemy you know, starts bringing these accusations and circumstantial evidence and fact-based reports, man, you're just like, what are you even bringing this up for? The judge has already ruled in my favor, dude. Right? That's, that's the... But listen to me now. Remember, David encouraged himself in the Lord. When David found himself in a really difficult spot, he spoke to his own soul. He spoke to, to his heart. He spoke to himself. And so, you know, even though your heart's the jury, you've got to open your mouth and, and speak to your own heart. Don't let the devil just keep bombarding the jury of your heart with, with all that he has to say and, and never speak up to say what the ruling of the judge is. So, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him, let him ask of God. He gives to all. No exclusions here. Think about this in terms of making a faith case for God's wisdom being given to you. If you lack wisdom, anybody, if any of you lack wisdom. So he didn't say you know, anything about nationality. He didn't say anything about gender. He didn't say anything about how rich or poor you are. Anyone. Anyone. So you know, if the devil tells you you don't qualify, he's clearly lying. Anyone lacks wisdom, in other words, if you lack it, you need it, you've, you've realized that, you've admitted it, let him ask God. God gives wisdom to all, everyone again, liberally, generously, and without reproach. Without reproach means, you know, sometimes people say, Pastor Mark, I know this is a dumb question. No such thing as a dumb question. Okay? Only unasked questions are, are you see what I'm saying? Um, so without reproach, meaning he's not ever going to go, are you really asking me that? He's not ever going to be condescending towards you. He's not ever going to uh, look down upon you for asking. Without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay? But now notice what else he says here. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts 
is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And the Lord, He didn't just say, if you doubt, you won't receive the wisdom you asked for. He said, if you doubt, you're not going to receive anything from the Lord. Why is that? Because your jury is overriding Him. Your heart is overriding Him. He goes on to say, He is a double-minded man. And that double-mindedness means unstable in all His ways. So, I'm fixing to pray. Satan challenges your faith in hopes of producing doubt. Doubt creates instability. If we are not prepared to answer the challenge, we will waver and abandon our faith position. In other words, we will lose our case. Praise God. All right. We're going to talk some more about these things next week. Let me just remind you one more time. You cannot move the mountain as long as the mountain can move you. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Father, that you're a faith God and we're faith children of a faith God. And, and Lord, I know some folks haven't heard us talk about or maybe don't understand what your word says about faith. But Lord, you said that if it's going to be by grace, something we don't deserve, it then has to be by faith. Because if it's by, based on what we deserve, then it can't be something that's unearned. And so you've always wanted to be on a grace basis with us, Father. You've always wanted to be able to give us what you desired for us to have, not what we deserve. And so, Lord, you've taken it out of what we can earn or pay for, and you've put it into this glorious realm of what we can believe for, what we can receive from you by faith. And so, Lord, I thank you that we're more aware now of, of what the enemy is trying to do when he brings these accusations, when he opposes um, our faith. He's desperately trying to create doubt and produce doubt in our heart because he knows that the doubt in our heart will result in a verdict, a, a judgment. It'll cause our heart to condemn us. But Father, if we have confidence towards you, we know that we have and we'll receive whatever we ask. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, it's been a pleasure to be with you tonight. I hope that you've been blessed um, by the things that you've heard and received. I pray that you would meditate on these things. I pray that you would apply these things. I, I, I pray that you would begin to look at some of the ways that the enemy uh, is using circumstances and issues uh, to uh, bring doubt to the jury of your heart. Amen. You have a blessed evening. Tell somebody around you good things coming. Praise God.